I think I've mentioned before uh, a group in India that is pastored by a man named Prabhakar Punamaka. Uh, and they are keeping the Feast of Tabernacles the same time we are. Uh, they're pretty much on the same calendar, I think. Uh, I haven't said a lot about it, but I hear from him almost every week. He sends us Sabbath greetings. And uh, I don't have my phone here. I can read his latest message to you. But uh, he says they're praying for us and asks us to pray for them and that God will give them uh, the capacity to <clears throat> meet in peace and keep the peace. They do receive quite a bit of persecution over there. Uh, there aren't too many people who even claim to be Christians in India. And then among those who do, someone who's a Sabbath keeper is strange even to them. So we have the same kind of dichotomy here in a way, but it isn't nearly as pronounced as it is over there. Uh, they sometimes get in trouble with the authorities for some of the things they're trying to do, just as people who are Christian are going to begin to see more and more of in this country, but it's already stronger over there. So uh, keep Prabhakar and his group in your mind. He sent me pictures of their feasts. Um, they really do like the color. Their dresses, their clothes, uh, bright reds and yellows and oranges and bright blue and it's actually quite colorful to see a picture of the congregation sitting there. I haven't asked him why, but the women are all on one side and the men are all on the other side. Uh, kind of an apartheid thing, but it's not racial, it's men and women. Uh, and I don't, I haven't asked him about it, nor have I sent him any pictures of us. Maybe I should, uh, but they outdo us. Those are colorful people, uh, and uh, he has big sign behind the speaker and, and all these things. It's just, it's just kind of neat to see how they're keeping the feast, but they're doing it kind of with their own uh, decorations in their own way. It's kind of like, well, you go to Hawaii, and over here, way back, everybody had to have on a suit and a tie if he was male. Uh, in the Worldwide Church of God. But in Hawaii, no such thing. An exception was made, and everyone wore their flowery shirts and even lays and so on. And I adapted to that rather quickly in those tropics with that humidity. Just a nice, loose flower shirt was nice. Uh, I, I didn't ever do that in the Bahamas, and it was oppressive over there a lot of the time, especially in the summer. But I kept my coat on, because you're supposed to. But uh, I found out that around the world some exceptions were being made. I mean, most of the ministry in those days went out all day long dressed in their suits to visit in homes. And when I was in Florida, I got away from that. I didn't care what the custom was. I wore a short sleeve white shirt and a tie, but I didn't wear any jacket. But anyway, interesting to see how they do it over there. And um, they are people to keep in mind, our brethren in India. I, they 
They're keeping the doctrine pretty close, I think, from the things he said to us. Uh, so he must be looking at our sermons on the website. I'm not sure. He's, he's a man of few words, so he doesn't say a whole lot. So I don't ask a whole lot. I do fill in a little once in a while about what we're doing, just to kind of give them an idea. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, they're trying to do it God's way best they can, it seems. Now, one other topic before we get on to the sermon is we have the barbecue tomorrow at 6, so we have an 11 o'clock service again tomorrow. Uh, I say that because there are a few that do sometimes listen in on the telephone and they need to know what time of day we're doing this. So tomorrow at 11, in fact, and Tuesday as well at 11, and we have the, uh, the thing over at the winery from 3 to 5, uh, with finger foods, there's about a $20 entry fee per person, uh, and then they have a cleaning fee, which some are taking care of, but it's a two-hour period uh, on Wednesday, but I need to know uh, how many would be planning on a dig so we can calculate Tuesday, yeah, not tomorrow, barbecues tomorrow, did I say Tuesday? I meant to. Huh? And I haven't even had a drink. Maybe I need one. Anyway, Tuesday afternoon from 3 to 5. But we have some who have colds and are ill. Uh, and we had a meeting to talk about these, and people decided they'd like to go to the winery. But I'd like to have a show of hands of how many. I don't know whether Jocelyn will be up to it or... Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, so you're here by yourself, so maybe you need to raise both hands. Uh, but I, I need to count and see how many are planning on going. So hold them up. Uh, yeah, there's two, three, four, five, six. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, at least 18 adults. And some of the kids have got their heavy kids don't have to pay, do they? No. So, I, yeah, you only count if you count <laughs> money. Anyway, uh, I think we'll have enough to go ahead and go. She needed, uh, Jessica needed to let them know today if we were going to cancel or, or go for it. But it looks like we're unanimously in going for it. So, 3 to 5 Tuesday at the winery. Uh, do they need directions? Yeah, it's, it's uh, the address is on their card, but you don't have them. Uh, well, Tuesday at the service, let's write the directions down, and then and then either hand it out or I can read it to them, whatever works. Okay, that's it for announcements, then. I don't want to take any more time from Nelson, who's giving the sermon today.
Well, he's going to try to give the sermon today. <laughs> I only have a book. Small book. <laughs> As I was praying this morning, I, actually about uh, two, two weeks ago I worked on a sermon, and then last Friday when on um, Atonement. Is that right there? Yeah. Uh, Daryl was speaking, and I thought, everything I worked on, I just threw all that away. <laughs> it's one of those things where you, when I work on a sermon, I get it down, I really think it's going to go good, but it comes to the day, I don't know what I'm going to say. I was thinking this morning as I was praying that, you know, we are ambassadors for the church, for the government of God. And if we're ambassadors for the government of God, I wonder, do we have uh, immunity to uh, other government things? Yes, we do. We are bound by God's law and God's way of life. So I want to speak a little bit about, about God's righteousness. And the word righteousness in the Dictionary comes up. It's a quality of being of vigorous, humble, uh, morally right. Being right means doing everything in the right direction. Well, I find sometimes that's pretty hard being a human being. I can't always find get everything right, but I try. I want to do everything right. Um, I do have somebody that can help me get keep things going right when I do it wrong. The bottom line, though, on righteousness, when you get the bottom line, is pleasing God, doing it God's way. So many people in the scriptures that they were uh, they were called friends of God. They were they walked with God. They did things with God, but it doesn't say they were righteous. But if you walk with God. You have to be righteous. But it can't be human righteousness. It's got to be godly righteousness. So the Bible teaches us that righteousness is based on what God says about what makes us right in His eyes. So we have to then find out, well, what is right with God? God's character defines what righteousness is. That means if God's character is what's right, we need to start finding out what God does that makes us right. It doesn't happen automatically. Sometimes I've looked in the past and I've been around now, this is my 60th year at the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, I've seen a lot of people who thought they were right. But, you know, we join the church. God calls us. Each person here has been specifically hand-picked. And we, after, you know, years down the line, I see people who thought, uh, you're righteous because you're here in the church. But that's not necessarily true. It's not something that happens automatically. You have to put some effort and energy into that. Therefore, man's righteousness then, who we are, our righteousness then, 
is defined in terms of God's righteousness. So, uh, you know, we can think, well, I know the scriptures. I can do these things. There's a, a verse in the Bible, a whole uh, section there is called Laodicean Church. You know what they said there? I, I know it all. I don't need to do any more. And God says, no, you don't. He said, you are blind and naked and you just don't have the answers. So people in the Laodicean Church pretty well thought that they were righteous. Why should I study? I'm, I'm pretty much, I know what I'm doing. I know God's way of life. So I don't have to study a whole lot. So let's look at God's righteousness. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32. And here it tells us a little bit about God's righteousness. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. He is our, he is the rock. So, here we're told that Christ is the rock. And we find in other scriptures it says that rock was with Israel through the 40 years in the wilderness. So Christ is the rock. His work is perfect. That's something to think about. I'm not perfect in the things I do, and I, I, I wish I could do things a little better a lot of times. But here God says, his work is perfect. You know, think about when in Ezekiel, talking about Hillel, who was one of the three covering cherubs, that everything that God did was great until he decided he could do it better than God. But God does everything perfect. So Hillel thought he, was, he became Satan the devil. He thought he could do it better than God. So he must have thought that God was not perfect. But I look at this planet and think it was pretty good. I mean, look at the fact that we have an atmosphere. We have good things. Everything here is done perfectly. Uh, we messed it up and we keep trying to do it better. But we just can't do it any better. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is our God. Well, that's something to think about. Am I full of truth? Do I tell the truth all the time? Am I without iniquity? No, I'm a human being and all of us are humans and we do make mistakes, and we do have flaws in our life, yet our God is perfect. He's just. He's right in everything He does. You know, if you go back to Genesis, and you, when God created, it talks about the recreation, and He got created the animals, He created man, and it says there in Genesis 1.31, everything He did was good. Everything. So that's what we're supposed to be looking forward to, isn't it? Seeing what God did, and is are we then also trying to be like God? Matthew 5.48 tells us, Be you therefore perfect. So Christ tells us in the Scriptures, 
We need to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we're given a, a responsibility to really work hard at what we do. In Psalm 92, verse 15, tells us that there is no unrighteousness in God. So God's character is perfect. He does everything right. And there is no iniquity. And he's no un- unrighteousness with God. So then, what is righteousness to us? There's three points I'm going to try to cover. Number one, focus. Focus on what? Focus on God's standards. We have many scriptures, uh, sermons, uh, covering the standards of God. I think there's two times that uh, we had two series of the standards of God. We need to focus on that part. If we're going to be perfect like God is perfect, we've got to find out what the standard of God is. God's standard is holy, upright living, according with God's standard. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Good places to go to all the time. Uh, I remember my daughter used to say she read uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7 all the time. But that's a standard that God set. And I admonish you to go back and look into our um, website. Look at the series on God's standard. Really good information. And it's up to date. Even though it was sometimes done, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? It's been quite a while back. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is a place to start. To find out how to be righteous based on God's standards. Each day, every day that we live, we should be holy and try to be royal priests, as it says in 1 Peter 2, 9-10, tells us, 1 Peter 2, verses 9-10, through 10. We're, we're holy people. We're people that have been chosen by God for a specific purpose. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation. You need to think about that. You're here. You're a part of the Feast of Tabernacles in 2023 because God selected you for that purpose. It's up to you then to what you do with it. So we are a holy, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Think about that. You're to be royalty and you're to be priests. A holy nation. Not just a group of people, 25 or so. We're going to be a holy nation. A peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of Him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. So, we're told we've got to show it. What does that mean? That means you have to do something. You have to do your part to be a part of that. So, we are to focus on being a holy generation, a holy priesthood, being those special people that God selected to be here. Zechariah, I mean Zephaniah, or Zephaniah 2, verse 3. 
Zephaniah 2, verse 3. We're told, again, we can't just sit back. It's not going to... We're not going to be like God, and we want to be holy people, and we want to be righteous. We want to do things the right way, so we've got to focus on doing it right. So here in Zephaniah 2, verse 3 says, tells us to seek the eternal. That means you're going to have to put your head into the Scriptures. That's the only way you're going to find out what the Bible says. I mean, we can hear sermons, I know, for past 60 years in Feast of Tabernacles. How many times do we hear tremendous sermons? Some, we just don't, maybe, I can remember back in the early, uh, the late 60s, we would have so many sermons, they would seem to run together. But how often do we go back and go over them? That's why I keep bringing up, I go back all the time and listen to past sermons. Some in 96, some in 2005, 10, uh, they're still up to date. So here we're told uh, in Zephaniah to seek the eternal. All you meet, are we meek? Are we humble? Are we people that are wanting to be trained? All you meet of the earth which have brought his judgment, seek righteousness. So here in Zephaniah, we're told to seek it. We're supposed to go out there and look for the way to be right. How did God do it? Why is God called righteous? He's a righteous God. We even sing about that. Our righteous God. So we're to seek uh, judgment. We're to seek righteousness. And seek meekness. And it may be, uh, shall you hide in the day that you can be hid in the day of the eternal. So when that trumpet blows, you know, that seventh trump, where will you be? Will you be taken, transformed, in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, or are you going to be still standing on the ground watching others go because you didn't do your part? Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek the eternal with which seek you the Lord while he may be found. So, you know, it's telling us when it's time, and this is the time to seek God. Remember the parable in Matthew 25 of the ten virgins? Five of them were seeking God, and five of them pretty much thought they had it made. I think of that other five, the five that didn't have much oil, were more like those in the uh, in Laodicean church. So, here in Isaiah 55, verse 6, seek you the eternal, why he is he can be found. Is that this time right now? Is God available to you? Well, I think so. And if it is, then are we going to be five of the ones that are transformed from physical to spiritual? Or are we going to be the five that's knocking on the door and saying, let me in, and having Christ say to you, I don't know you. I don't know you. That's not what I want to be. So I need to seek God's righteousness because 
if I have God's righteousness, then I will probably be walking with God. Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. We're told to ask, seek, ask, and it shall be given to you. So if we want to be righteous, we need to ask God for help to get that way. Seek God, seek righteousness, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So are we looking to be righteous people? Are we looking at how God is righteous that makes us available to be righteous? For everyone that asks, he receives. So if we're asking God for help, He's going to give it to us. He makes a promise and he doesn't go back on his promises. So we ask and we'll get it. And he that seeks finds it. You know, the man that wanted that pearl of great price. What did he do? He went after it. He sought every way possible to get that, that pearl. And God's way of life is a better pearl than that. And he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks, it will be opened. You know, there, again, back in Revelation uh, chapter 3, it says, Christ came to those Laodiceans, he said he knocked on the door and said, if you open up, I'll come in and eat with you. So, we got to go out and see if we can find a way to become righteous in God's way of life. In Colossians 1, verse 10 tells us to increase in the knowledge of God. That's how we find out how to be godly and God's righteousness. Again, in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, it tells us to desire the sincere milk of the Word. So all these things are to help us to focus in on what God wants us to do. Point two. So we focus on God. But point two is, are you committed? I mean, you can say I'm here in services, and we are, we heard, like I think it was yesterday, we heard we are a setup crew. Um, back in 2000, there were a lot of people there. They heard that we were a setup crew. Some of them apparently were not committed enough to still be here. So how much commitment do you have to be a part of what God is doing? If you want to be righteous, are you committed to doing that? In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 3, Paul tells us, chapter 3, Philippians 3, verse 14, Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul was committed to that. He didn't just say, I want to be righteous. I want to be a part of what God is doing. He was committed to doing that. He had his problems, and so do we. But are we so committed that we're still here? I look back when 70 people, I think, or we got to a hundred and some people. And how committed are we? Because something doesn't happen as fast as we want to? 
maybe we we hear these things and the speaker is committed to teaching these things and committed to doing it himself, but we lose focus. And so we also lose commitment. And you don't want to do that. If you believe God and believe what God is inspired to be said to you, you have to not only focus, you've got to be committed to doing that. It doesn't make any difference what the problems come up. You've got to stay there to the end. Because it says, those that are faithful unto the end will be saved. That takes commitment. Because little trials, sometimes big trials, and sometimes we take and make mountains out of little trials, and make mountains instead of molehills. So, are we committed to doing it God's way? That's a very important part. Then the third point, you are focusing on what God wants to do. That third point, then, is faith. So we have to focus. We have to be committed. I want to do it the way God wants me to do it. So I have to have faith. You know, Abraham was told if he would, and he apparently was a very rich man, you know, Abraham was, probably had a house or whatever, and he was told to leave all that, leave everything, and go, I'm going to, God says, I'm going to show you something I'm going to give to you and your seed after you. And what did Abraham do? He packed up his bags and got a tent and went looking for that. So Abraham had faith. He didn't know where he was going, but he believed that God would give him something. And he meant many years. He said he would have a family, but he had no family. It was just Abraham and Sarah. And, you know, being human, Sarah wanted a family, so they got a family, but it wasn't got what God wanted. But God did give it to them, didn't he? So they actually believed God and followed what God said. So they had to have faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Romans chapter 1, 17. Just the last part of it says, The just shall live by faith. So if we're to be just, if we're to be like God and God is just, we have to have faith. We've got to be committed to doing it. So we focus on it, we commit to it, and we have to believe God. And if we believe God, we will live by faith. And Habakkuk 2.4 says the same thing. The just shall live by faith. So God emphasizes that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We have to have you know, the whole book of Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Faith is the things hoped for and the evidence of that which you haven't received. So you don't have faith if you have something. Your faith is when you believe in God. Romans chapter 12. 
1 through 3. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So, we're to be a living sacrifice. Christ was a living sacrifice. God the Father sacrificed Him for each one of us and for all humanity. So, we are then to be living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God. Are we, are we being accepted by God? You cannot have righteousness, godly righteousness, and be accepted by God if you're self-righteous which is your reasonable service. So, you know, it's our responsibility to work toward being godly righteousness, and that is based on God's righteousness. And we can only be righteous if we follow what God tells us to do. And be not conformed to this world. So here's a way that you can not be righteous. If you conform to the ways of this world and we know in this day and time we have so many things that can pull you in the wrong direction. We've got TV, we've got um, music, we've got work, we've got everything that's out there is a distraction to us. So we can't be conformed to the world, we've got to be transformed from the world. We've got to put the worldly things behind us. But be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, when you renew your mind, how do you do that? You've got this Bible. It's got a lot in it. And we're finding out uh, here that God is inspiring us and giving us more information. You know, Paul told the people in Hebrews 5, he said, I came to you, talking to the Hebrews, as just as are here, I come to you with more in-depth information than what you've had before. But you don't want it. You still want to go back to the milk of the Word. We sent out information about the Passover, and most of it was thrown away because they're not ready for it, or they still have to go back. And so most of the churches that I know of, they still teach basic, doctrine. But for all of us, we should know those basic, basic doctrines. We should be wanting to accept more. And we are given a whole lot more here. God has inspired things that, you know, I thought I knew a lot. And over the past 23 years now, I've learned a lot more that I thought I knew I didn't know. I was still in the back in the basics. So we'll be transformed from this world and renewing our minds that we may what? We may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it requires us to do something, doesn't it? We're to prove what God wants. We're to prove godly righteousness. In Philippians 3, verse 9. Philippians 3, verse 9. 
and be you and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. So here we're told not to have our own righteousness. That's self-righteousness. So you need to analyze your life. Is it godly or is it selfish? You know, um, Ananias and Sapphira, there's a case there. They thought they were righteous because they sold their property and they held back a percentage. They probably were fairly rich. They had a pretty good house and sold it. And they didn't want to be paupers, I guess. So instead of saying to Peter, um, this is a portion of it, no, they wanted to make everybody think how great they were. We gave everything. No, we didn't. And what happened? And whether it be Ananias and Sapphira or back in the Old Testament with Korah and 250 of the leadership, they didn't make out so good. So here we're told that we should not have in our own righteousness, which is in the law. And that's what Jews do today. They believe they're righteous because they keep the Ten Commandments and other other laws, the, the book of um, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all those um, rules and regulations. They think they're righteous because they keep all those things. But Christ said, I'm not going to have anything to do with you Jews anymore until I come in the, in the end. And then you will see what is right and what is not. So, we can't keep uh, our own righteousness in law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. What kind of faith did Christ have? He trusted God all the way. And He set us an example. The righteousness which is of God is by faith. So we, to be, if we're going to become righteous, we've got three things we've got to do. We've got to focus in on what God's doing. What He told us. You know, it's His, His way of life that's right. So focus on that, not on ourselves. Commit to being godly. Commit to doing it the way God wants it done. And it's easy it's very, very easy to find an excuse not to do it God's way. It's very easy because it's always out there. So you focus, you commit to doing it, and then you have believing faith. So if we're going to be a part and continue to be a part of what God is doing, we need to focus, commit, and believe. And Thank God that we can be here today. Thank you. Now we'll go and have the final song.